Hello, readers. Allison Moore is a mother and a singer-songwriter with 10 critically acclaimed albums, as well as nominations for Academy, Grammy, Americana Music Association, and Academy of Country Music Awards. And she's the author of the book we're talking about today, Blood, a Memoir. Allison, thank you for the time. How are you? I'm pretty good. So, Allison, what was your goal in writing Blood? My goal? Um, You know, I don't know that when I started, I had a specific goal. Um, I just, you know, I was not inspired to write this book until after I became a parent. Um, So I think that there were a couple, you know, I, obviously there was a story there. And as a, as an artist, making art is how I process my world and my thoughts and my feelings. And um, it, it, I think it just all culminated after I became a parent. I began to see things a little differently. I began to see my own family a little differently. So, um, so- and I was definitely inspired by a conversation that I had with, um, and this will be name dropping. So I apologize, but I was, um, on Maya Angelou's radio show about six weeks after my son was born. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And she was asking me about my upbringing and, uh, we were discussing, um, how we both grew up and she, she said, uh, okay, well now you have John Henry. What are you going to tell him when he's old enough to ask about this? And I didn't have an answer for her. So for whatever reason, I began to play with words and try to figure out how I could write this story down in a balanced and fair way. And it took me a while to find the form. It took me a while to find the voice. But once I did, I was off and running. So all in all, it, it you know, from... From when I had, um, when I first started writing, it took almost five years. Just for some context for people who are hearing this and not familiar with your story, uh, I was hoping you might be able to share what exactly happened to you that really is the foundation of this entire story that you're telling. So what happened in the early morning hours of Tuesday, August 12th, 1986? Well, um, first of all, um, my... You know, I grew up in a in a dysfunctional home. My father was um, an abusive alcoholic, and my mother was, in many ways, unable to deal with that. So, my sister and I have one sister, and um, we we grew up, you know, in a in a violent, unpredictable home. And um, when my mother finally decided to leave the situation, um, my father sort of, you know, he lost it. And he, on the morning of August 12th, 1986, he shot and killed her and killed himself in the front yard of the house that she had rented for us to live in away from him. So I was 14. My sister was 17. And uh, they were gone. And you were both inside the house when this happened? We were. What was your response when you heard the gunshots go off? Was it something where your sister, being the older one, ran outside to check what was going on and immediately ran for help? I mean, what was your reaction to all of this just after it happened? My reaction was when I heard the gun woke me up. And, you know, there were, this is um, definitely condensed in the story. I had, I had, uh, you know, my 
my father came to our home in, um, you know, the middle of the night, basically. And um, I had woken up and seen him, but I went back to sleep and I was sleeping in the living room because a friend of my mother's had come over the night before because everybody was on pins and needles because uh, my father was acting so erratically. Um, When the gun woke me up at what I think was probably around 5 a.m., I um, I got up and I went to the kitchen door and I called for my mama. She did not answer. And um, shortly after that, my sister and my mother's friend got up and um, my sister went outside and found them. And then she went to get help and it just went from there. And uh, really the entirety of the story is the lead up to the tragedy that happened you dealing with an abusive father, your mother obviously dealing with an abusive father, your sister as well, and also the after effects of those things, not just your life as a teenager, but how you've dealt with that throughout your life. Is there an easy way to describe your dad as you saw him while growing up? An easy way? Yeah. Um, There are easy ways, but I am reluctant to do that. Um, One of the points, of this book is um, showing that people are complicated and no one is just one thing. And one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book um, was that since my sister and I have been in the public eye and we've both been in the public eye for a long time, um, you know, a lot of the details get lost. A lot of subtleties get lost. I, you know, a lot of what has been written about our parents has been very one-dimensional. And, um, you know, they've been reduced to these tragic figures. And I understand that because um, neither my sister nor I have been very forthcoming with the details about them up until this point. Um, So I, I would, it would take me a while to describe him. And I think that that was one of the reasons why I had to write a book. Um, he was a lot of things. He was uh, good and bad, like we all are. He um, was very ill. He was an addict. And I think that however he went, he ultimately went off the rails. I don't really know why or how. All I know is that he did. And all I know is that he was a complicated man. And he, um, he had a lot of good qualities and he clearly had a lot of bad qualities. What was your relationship like with them? You know, I spent so uh, little time with him, the, you know, in, a, in the big scheme of things. Um, you know, from the time that I can say I really had theory of mind, probably, you know, by the time I was four years old, I remember being very frightened of him. He was, a, you know, he was a very charismatic person. But he used that charisma to ill effect a lot of times. So he controlled the energy in our house, and it was it was not um, pleasant a lot of times. It was very volatile. We never knew what was going to happen or what sort of mood he would be in. But he was also someone who was very moved by music. He played music. Um, he was a you know smart person and um, a talented person. And uh, you know I have to say that although I feel like my sister and I got a lot of our musical talents from my mother. I think that we um, were shown that making art could be 
a way to make a life by him. Hmm. Um, so there's a there's a real mixture there. You just mentioned uh, getting your a lot of your musical sensibilities from your mom, and uh, what other ways did you and do you still admire uh, just who your mom was? Well, I think she was a person who struggled a lot. I think she was in a situation that she didn't know how to handle because she did not come from um, a dysfunctional family, and certainly not to the level that our family was dysfunctional. I feel like she was um, in some ways just sort of confused and, and could not figure out how to handle my father. Obviously he was someone that she loved very much. So she was caught in a situation where she was trying to help him, but he was really unhelpable. So there's that. Um, she was a, she was a very strong, capable, smart person who um, was a very down-to-earth and funny and beautiful, and um, everyone loved my mama. Your mom also had her own lingo, and uh, you bring up some of uh, some of the words in her vocabulary, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to define some of these right now. So uh, would you mind yeah. <laughs> letting the people know what Ghoulie Ganguly is? Well, Ghoulie Ganguly is um, uh, usually, we, use, we would use that like, that's got some kind of gooly ganguly on it, and I can't get it off. So, like, some sort of <laughs> something that's gotten on something. Um, you know, it just, uh, it would be like something sticky or something that has, you know, made a stain on something or, or you know, just a catch-all word that um, is used to describe probably something gross. Booger shit. Booger shit is um, also something that has gotten on something, but usually washable with soap and water. <laughs> All right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and hockey, not, not the other uh, sport necessarily, but how your mom used the word hockey. She used that as a stand in for, you know, whatever bad word she wanted to use, but didn't feel like was appropriate in uh, present company. I am unfortunately not along those lines. I'm a, I'm a big cusser, and I know that uh, you admit in the book uh, as well that you are too. So oh, I may be asking you a question at the very end of this conversation. Yeah, they, about uh, my that. parents could both cuss a blue streak, so my sister and I inherited that. Honestly. <laughs> now uh, a little bit more serious. Uh, your mom had numerous reasons to be done with your dad: spousal abuse, substance abuse, monogamy abuse, and even child abuse. Although she was mostly done with him by 1986, why do you think she was never able to fully escape him? Well, I don't think he was willing to let go of her. Hmm. And he was persuasive, and um, she was susceptible. You are right, and it's understandable considering uh, what both you and your sister do for a living, that uh, music was an important coping mechanism for both of you. Uh, You actually write that the records that you and your sister would play as kids became one of the few things that you could truly trust in life. How so? Well, I think the the great thing about records and one of the reasons why, um, and we don't talk about this much, um, one of the reasons why I think we go, we as people, as human beings, go to music um, in times of stress or trouble or whatever it is, um, one of the reasons why it suits us, though, is it doesn't change. Um, Once a song is recorded, we can go to those recordings and depend on them to be 
how we've always known them. Um, that occurred to me as something that I do uh, and something that I did even when I was a kid. I could feel like the world was falling apart around me, but those records never changed. They were reliable. Um, now, that's um, that's just speaking of recorded music. Um, but you know how we do as people, you know. We have our go-tos. We have our records that we listen to for different reasons. And uh, I think one of the reasons why we lean on recorded music is it's, it's unchangeable. Um, so I would, as a kid, I would, um, it's almost like a touchstone for me. Like, um, you know, I would, I would listen to records and I, they would ground me because um, they were uh, reliable things. And so little else was. Did you and Sissy speak much, either with uh, with each other or somebody else, about your dad's abuse towards your mom and also to Sissy? No, because we were, of course, told not to speak of it. Hmm. Um, we were always told not to say anything about his violence or his drinking. You know, that was a big theme, and that's a big theme in, in, uh, in most families um, that are dealing with addiction or something crazy going on. The children are always told not to talk about it. And that teaches us to not talk about things, to keep things in, to feel like we have to handle everything on our own. And that's a lot to ask of a child or anyone. But I think it does set a precedent for um, living in secret when we tell our children not to talk about what's happening at home. Now, the uh, lead-up to the uh, awful tragedy in 1986 actually included something that happened in these parts. Would you mind sharing that story from uh, your time in and around Texas and uh, more specifically Austin in the central Texas area? Yeah, so um, the catalyst for my mother um, ultimately leaving my father was um, my sister had graduated high school, and we have um, relatives who live in Colleen, actually. And so uh, she went out there to spend a couple weeks with them. And my father and my mother and I drove out to get her and take her home to Alabama. While we were there, um, the three of them decided to spend one day in Austin um, listening to, to music and going around and, and just seeing what was up in the music scene there. And as the three of them drove, were driving back to Colleen, there was an incident that involved um, the three of them getting arrested ultimately. And my, my sister, um, ended up with, um, an unlawful use of a motor vehicle charge, which made her have to stay in Texas for the rest of the summer. And it was all this crazy stuff. And, and it was, it was, you know, it was kind of like all the dominoes fell. And my mother finally realized that due to, um, my father's actions, my sister had been irreparably damaged. And it was a last straw kind of thing. So at that moment, um, they split, basically. My mother was determined to get us out of the situation finally. Um, So it just, you know, it was one of those things where things just fell apart. And... um, yeah, that happened in Georgetown, Texas. 
were you ever able to uh, address your dad about his abusiveness? No. Did your dad ever ask you specifically for help? And if so, what were the circumstances and did you actually help? Um, there was an incident um, during the last um, six months of his life when um, there had been an episode and we ended up leaving the house and then going back as we often did. My mother would often have my sister and me pack up um you know, everything we could fit in the car and we would either go to her parents' house or a friend's house or something to stay away. And this was always uh, after a violent outburst from my father. Um, So we, that had, one of those episodes had happened, but we were, you know, had gone back home. And um, he woke me up in the middle of the night one night asking me, you know, trying to explain his actions in some way. And um, ultimately asking me for help, which, you know, is uh, I I did not know what he wanted from me. And I still don't know what he wanted from me because, um, you know, asking your 13 year old daughter for help when you're a nightmare is not something that makes any sense at all. Hmm. Um, So I feel like it was probably a half hearted attempt at getting back in my good graces. Um, But I still don't know what it meant. And we never spoke of it again. Why is moving from Frankville a part of the story that you hate telling more than the others? When um, you know, I grew up in Frankville, Alabama, from the time I was uh, just before I turned two until the time I was 12. Um, when I was 12 years old, we moved to the Mobile, Alabama area, where my father had gotten a job at a vocational school. He was a teacher by trade. Um, and that seemed to be the point where things took a really um, even more negative turn. He had always been an alcoholic, and he was always violent. But when we moved from Frankville to Mobile, things got worse, and they got worse fast. I really admire how you were able to acknowledge some of your flaws as a human being that resulted from your abusive upbringing, the tragedy you bore witness to as a child, Did writing this book and recording the corresponding album help you to evolve with these perceived flaws? Well, one of the things that I've always done and one of the things that I've always been interested in is my own psychological development. I've always been interested, you know, I've I've been a spiritual seeker, I think, all of my life. I, I think this started when I was very young. I've always lost myself in books. I've always found comfort in books and in a sort of self-study. And I've always been a person who was always trying to figure herself out. Um, Because I am a fortunate person and I have had the opportunity to become educated and to be around people who um, are healthy people, I have been aware that I do not have to follow my parents' example. Um, But I've also been aware that we often, as human beings, just do what we know to do. And when we're given such horrific examples of how to be in a relationship, how to parent, how to be in the world, 
I think it can be difficult to figure out ways to not repeat what we've been shown. And because I've been aware of that for a long time, um, I've been very interested in how to examine what my baggage is and how not and how to try to not put it off on other people. So um, I've always studied psychological development. I've always been drawn to paths to peace, if you will, whether, you know, whether I was investigating Buddhism or, um, you know, even right now I'm taking a course on uh, centering prayer, Hmm. a practice um, that brings peace to your life. Um, Because I've always been drawn to those things and because I have always been reluctant to live in the same manner that my parents did, I have searched for a way to have peace in my life, if that makes any sense. That makes um, a lot of sense. And that means I have to look at myself. I have to look at, okay, this happened. What does all that add up to? And what are my, um, what is my damage and what are my pitfalls? And how can I stay away from all of this negativity? And how can I make my life as positive as it can possibly be, despite what I went through. You started this conversation out by talking about how important your son, John Henry, was, and I believe he's nine or ten right now, to you writing this book. Mm -hmm. Has he also been instrumental in you continuing to get better as somebody who is naturally uh, able to look in the mirror to see strengths and weaknesses and try and improve on those things? Has John Henry been able to help with that and also the overall healing? He has been um, my inspiration for that. Um, As I said, I've always been interested in improving myself in a spiritual way and an emotional way and a mental way. Um, But he was really, when he was born, I thought, oh, you know, I could screw this up really badly. I don't want to do that. (laughs) So (laughs) I need to figure out what's going on so that I can maybe just stay out of the danger zone and not. I mean, I think we all mess up our children. There is, there's no avoiding that because we are human beings and we're not perfect and no one has ever had a perfect parent and no one's ever going to be a perfect parent. But I do think being aware and being mindful of our danger zones is very important. So, you know, I have to look at what my issues are because I was, uh, because I am a child of an alcoholic. Well, that makes me susceptible to being a control freak. Um, it makes me, um, I feel insecure in my environment. Um, you know, there's, there are myriad symptoms that come with having grown up the way I did. But that does not mean that I have to pass that on and create that same sort of environment for my child. So um, I really want to be a present parent and a loving parent and a stable parent for my, um, for my child. So it's in order to do that, I have to look at where I've come from so that I don't repeat those things. You finish the book with the sentence, I've got new stories to tell now. Do you mean through music or do you actually want to write more books? I want to do both. 
Love that. And uh, I will uh, definitely be reading the next book that comes out, and I'll also be listening to more of the music. I loved the uh, Nirvana cover that you had on uh, your album from a couple of years ago. It was so so eerie, uh, and obviously you did the duet with your sister, and it was uh, just a fantastic rendition of Lithium by Nirvana. And I told you I was going to ask you about this, and we're going to end the conversation with this. Uh, you do express uh, your love for a good cuss word in this book, something that you inherited <laughs> from your parents. Uh, last thing I'm going to ask you, uh, what is your favorite cuss word? And I asked that as somebody who loves a good fucking cuss word from time to time. Oh, God. Well, that's a just, that's a great question, and I don't know that I'm going to have an answer. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I, would, I can let loose with a stream of cuss words, and very creatively. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd let, can I, am I allowed to say these words? Yeah, I've uh, this this is the uh, the advantage of recording the conversation ahead of time, Alice, and I can bleep them out if I need to. I don't. I mean, I I am prone to say in a you know motherfucking shit at any. Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't give a good goddamn or like <laughs> I don't know. I'm happy to be creative and make and make it up. So I'm pretty partial to fuck. Um. I like shit. Um, you know, I, 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 I like them all. I'm an equal opportunity cusser, but, you know, fuck seems to come out a lot. Well, it's just such a versatile cuss word. You can use it in so it, many it, different situations, good and bad. It, right? Exactly. You can, you can use it as a noun, as a verb, as an adjective. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's very versatile. It's a great word. Oh, man. She is Allison Moore. She is a mother and a singer-songwriter with 10 critically acclaimed albums, as well as nominations for Academy, Grammy, Americana Music Association, and Academy of Country Music Awards. And she's the author of the book we're talking about today, Blood, a Memoir. Allison, thank you so much for the time today. This book was a beautiful piece of art, and I really appreciate you joining me for a few minutes to talk about it. Thank you so much. You have a great day.